welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on the show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Hey, welcome to the show. And I think about all of you all the time wondering how is everyone doing, but you know what? Isn't that like around the world? How is everyone doing? So I hope you're safe. I hope you're taking care of yourself uh, because, you know, we're all in this together, but we've each got to make the right moves. And I want to send a special shout out to my great friend, Yoshiko Dart, who I love so much. And I think I've talked before about Richard Roberts and Gang Young Cho, and they are friends of mine that one is in South Korea, one's in Japan. They both work for the State Department, and they are just awesome. And get ready, folks, because I'm working on a project with them so that we can bring more listeners from Asia on this show because there's such a need for help for, you know, quality of life for people living with disabilities and for employment. So that's really exciting to me. And, you know, we have listeners in all these different countries. And guess who after the United States is the largest listening audience? China. So thank you for all of you listeners. Oh, my goodness, we think about you all the time with everything you're going through and have gone through. So, you know, we are with you. Thank you. Hi, Mark, for being the lead sponsor for four years of of Unbelievable. Uh, People's Natural Gas, now known as People's, (coughs) also a new one-year sponsor. And Wells Fargo and Employment Options, All of you are helping me make a difference on Voice America. So, you know, I'm going to tell you now this show is very personal to me today. And that is because it is going to be about (coughs) COVID-19 impacting people living with epilepsy. And as you know, I am one of those people. And I'm so excited to have the CEO of the Epilepsy Association of Western and Central PA on the show today. I am so honored to be the chair of that great organization. Peggy, welcome to the show. Well, good afternoon, Joyce, and thank you for having me on your show. This is always an honor for me to be with you, and thank you so much for serving as the chair of our association. Um, I want to start by wishing you and all of your listeners good health and say that I hope that everyone is safe and protected from this coronavirus. Um, As you know, I've been with the association for 26 years now and and, um, have had previous roles in program services with the organization and have certainly never experienced anything like this. So I'm, I'm very worried about everybody and just wishing everybody good health. That is so kind of you. And it, it is so true. I mean, it's so true that whoever thought we would see anything like this? Yeah. I mean, it's frightening it's tragic for families that have lost family members, but it's around the world. It's like all yeah. of us, all yeah, of us are nothing in like this. It ever. Yeah, yeah, and and it's a terrible enemy, 
but it's invisible enemy. So, right. yeah, right. I know it is biblical in proportion. It is just unbelievable. But I'm with you. Just sure. I worry about people. I want everyone to be safe and take care of themselves. Um, and so thank you, Peggy, for those comments. So, Peggy, yeah. let's just start with you. Um, tell our listeners, they know you're the CEO, but what all mm-hmm. does that mean? Like, what do you do? What? And obviously, people around the world are not familiar with the Epilepsy Association of Western and Central PA. But how could they not be familiar? <laughs> No matter where they are in the world, how could they not be familiar with the Epilepsy Association of Western and Central PA? Uh, But, you know, maybe you can talk about uh, the foundation, how long, you know, how long that we've been there, uh, how it started. And also, even today, you know what, different people ask me, what all do we throughout the state, you know, where all do we work? So how about if you go over that for us? Sure. So um, our organization is very much a boots-on-the-ground organization. Um, We've been around since 1972, so 45, 46 years. Um, We were started by a group of parents who were looking for information and support services for themselves and for their children who are struggling with epilepsy and seizure disorders. So started as an advocacy organization, continue as an advocacy organization today. We are very much about the business of helping people who are living with seizures, coping with seizures, dealing with seizures on a daily basis. And so everything we do revolves around helping people today who are dealing with seizures today. Um, all of our supports and services are geared towards helping people deal with the negative consequences of having seizures. So lots of things that, that we do um, revolve around some of this. I, I like to describe some of the things that we do as kind of good neighbor sorts of things. When people are in crisis, they often say, oh, if there's something I can do, please let me know. So that might range from helping people right now who are unemployed with emergency medication assistance because they've lost their health insurance or because they have so many bills right now that they can't afford to pay for their medication, we will step in and and pay for medication for a 30-day period of time and help them find another program that will pay for their medication for them because it's so important that people have seizures not skip medications. We have summer camp programs for children who have seizures, which, of course, right now we can't hold those programs, but we're doing things online to work with children in the interim. Um, We do a lot of support groups, which we traditionally do face-to-face, but we can't do those right now, so we're doing those online. Um, We do a lot of education for patients because we always say, People should be looking for treatments that provide them with no seizures, no side effects. So if you're not in a place where your seizures are completely controlled and you're not having a lot of side effects, then your journey toward finding a treatment should continue. So we help people sort of research and learn about treatments that maybe they didn't know were out there or are new, those kinds of things. We do a lot of patient education. 
We do a lot of work in the schools with parents and with families to help educate teachers and school bus drivers and um, other children in the schools, uh, you know, other folks who are working in schools to create a safe environment for children who might have seizures in the schools, do a lot of seizure first aid training and consultation and that kind of thing, Um, work with people to help them understand what seizures are, how they might impact learning, how to help create safe environments and and, um, encouraging environments for students so that they can deal with their seizures and, you know, continue to move forward with their seizures, that kind of thing. So, I mean, the list kind of goes on and on. We have a, a movement monitor program for folks if they have a loved one whose seizures are not controlled and that person might be at risk of something called sudden unexpected death in epilepsy. We help them get a monitor for that person while they're sleeping so that the family might know if they're having a seizure at night while they're sleeping um, to alert the family. Um, So, you know, things that are helpful to people who are living with seizures now things that might help relieve some of the stress for people who are caring for somebody who has a seizure, um, things that will help enhance the, the environment for folks who are having a seizure. We try to help folks prepare for employment. We try to help folks, you know, refer folks out to employment programs, help them get ready for employment, those kinds of things. We have a scholarship program for students. Um, last year we had, I think, $11,500 in scholarship funds that we distributed to graduating high school seniors. So lots and lots of those kinds of things that are helpful to families, bring families together, allow families to support one another. Um, and we're doing that right now in 49 counties in western and central Pennsylvania. We have staff located in Pittsburgh. We have staff located in Harrisburg, Camp Hill area, and we have staff in the Altoona State College area. So, as you can imagine, Joyce, I could probably go on for the whole hour talking about what it is we do, but I'll stop there. Uh, right now, Peggy, I'm sorry I was letting you go on there. Okay. Uh, right now, someone that does not have access to medication and... Mm-hmm. During this time period, oh my goodness, how terrible is that? They would call us and we could help them uh, for 30 days. And then what? Then do we try to get them connected with some other organization or what do we do? Absolutely. There are um, virtually all of the pharmaceutical companies that manufacture epilepsy medicine, well, all medicines, but particularly epilepsy medicines, have patient assistance programs. So oftentimes what we find is that if somebody is in crisis, that means they're going to be, they're either out of their medicine or they're going to be out of their medicine tomorrow, that sort of thing. So that's why we step in, provide the 30-day supply, and then that gives us that month to work with folks to either help them apply for um, medicine, health insurance through their state program and get them ongoing health insurance if they don't have health insurance or link them up to um, a good RX program or a pharmaceutical assistance program through a manufacturer or something like that so that there's an ongoing solution to that problem and it's not just 
you know, well, you've, you've got a 30-day supply, and then 30 days from now, you've got that same problem again. So we, you know, we definitely want to make sure that that person has a, a solution, an ongoing solution and not just a 30-day quick fix. Yeah, I always think about that because uh, as most of my listeners know, my epilepsy was misdiagnosed. I didn't know I had epilepsy. I had a seizure one night at a movie theater where they had a hard floor and I hit the floor and ended up fracturing my skull and losing most of my hearing and my right ear and having life-saving brain surgery. And this is when I find out I have epilepsy and I start taking Dilantin and these weird fainting spells I had before that stopped. So in other words, I always had uh, epilepsy. But I always think about that. I think, you know, they didn't know if I was going to live. Think how many people, though, if they don't have medicine, could have an accident the way I did. Do you know what I mean? If their epilepsy is not controlled. Uh, So... You know, that, that is good. But then all those other things. I love, as you said, the boots on the ground. Because guess what? That's where it matters. Going to the schools. Right. Helping families that have lost a child to Sue Depp. I mean, the uh, the scholarship. Some, just as you said, we could go on and on. But that's where people live. I mean, that's right. where it is. And many people also have literally no one to talk to Uh, and don't know what to do when they have the realization they or a child have epilepsy. Um, Another question I wanted to ask you, as you said, you have been doing this for 26 years. um, And by the way, Bender Consulting is celebrating their 25th anniversary. So how about that? We're almost Happy been doing this the same day. Yeah, and yours is soon coming. No, yours passed. We're only one year yeah, apart. Isn't that something? Yeah. Um, yeah. But anyway, since you started until now, what are the biggest changes you've seen in reference to stigma? Oh, gosh. Um, well, sadly, I think that there is still stigma associated with epilepsy. And that's that stigma is so damaging, Joyce, as, as you all know. Um, but, you know, I, I think it has changed. I think the thing that is most significantly different is that people, how people view disabilities in medical conditions is very different. You know, when I started 25 years ago working with epilepsy, I had already been working with disabilities for many years. So I was really shocked when I started working with epilepsy to find out that people were in many areas that we work in, in a lot of particularly isolated communities and really rural communities, people were actually afraid of people who have epilepsy. They were like, they knew nothing about epilepsy. They knew nothing about it being a medical condition they didn't even really realize that it was a medical condition. They knew so little about it. So they were actually afraid of the person. And so, thank God, 25 years later, even though there's still stigma, once we provide people with information and education, they're very understanding and very willing to accept that information. They're very willing to accept that education. 
And so it's easy to sort of um, <clears throat> mitigate that stigma if you are able to reach the person who is, you know, sort of applying that stigma or is the person who's, for lack of a better description, kind of guilty of that discrimination. So when you see it happen, for example, in a school or, or, you know, in a workplace or in a community, if you're able to get there and sort of provide education and provide information and let people know that their perceptions are not correct, then they are very willing to modify their behavior. And that's very different. That was not the case 20 or 25 years ago when I first started working with epilepsy. Um, And I think that's the thing that's most significantly different is that people's willingness to accept new information and different information is very, very different than God. Thank God. And you know what? What the heck is that deep-seated stigma? I mean, why can't we... Why can't we get rid of that? I mean, you know, every time I speak at a company and they say, we brought you here because we haven't, you know, we want to start hiring people with disabilities. And I always say the same thing. Oh, but you already have. Right. They're sitting here right now. They have epilepsy, and then I go through a whole list, you know, bipolar disorder, MS, I can go on and on. But so why wouldn't you tell people that you have epilepsy? Well, because of the stigma, because people act weird with you, because people Mm -hmm. act afraid. They now judge you as being different. I mean, people have a great fear, so much so that when I spoke at one billion-dollar company, the executive vice president came over to me and said, I am one of those people. I have what you have, and I'd never tell anyone. Right. And that, and that is, part of that is the growing up and people being ashamed. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's why I always tell parents, do not say, keep this a secret. Do not say that. Right. Because when you do, you're saying there's something wrong with you or or you should be ashamed. So don't do it. Um, okay. Well, well and I, and I'm I sorry. Like go ahead. Blame games with, but the medical community has got to take a hit for that because I've had so many people tell me who, who are, you know, maybe your age or my age or, you know, older Americans say to me, you know, when I went to the doctor when I was a child, I remember the doctor telling my parents, okay, your son has epilepsy, now don't ever use that word again. He'll never get health insurance, he'll never get life insurance, he'll never get a driver's license. He'll, do you know what I'm saying? So, you know, there, society was telling people not to use that word, and that's why it was so heavily stigmatized. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I have to agree with you about the medical community because I'm an example. Uh, after surviving brain surgery, you know, I am in, and it had only been a few months, but I was in a store with my husband, and he said, Joyce, that's your doctor. I said, what do you mean? That's the neurosurgeon that saved your life. And I was overwhelmed. I was in tears, and I said, 
who I was and that I just wanted to shake his hand and I said, you know, what a shock it was to me to know that I had epilepsy. And he looked at me and said, don't say that. Don't tell people right. that. Don't right. say that. That's say you have right. a seizure disorder. Now, mind you, right. this is the person that saved my life. And right. this is, and what people also don't realize is when they say, don't say that. Again, they're saying, don't tell anyone because that's terrible. That's a bad thing, so right. don't say that word. I mean, that only makes the person feel worse about who they are. So I right. do have to agree with you um, about the medical community, you know, doing that. Right. So, uh, yeah. Peggy, this show, I wanted to talk about uh, how COVID-19 is impacting people with uh, epilepsy because I know we have a lot of people listening to the show today Um wondering about that and one of the things I wanted to ask you about when people talk about COVID-19 and they'll say well it you know it, it most likely will hit this age group or people with this underlying condition but you know many people with epilepsy have comorbidities. In other words, they have epilepsy right. and cerebral palsy or epilepsy uh, and maybe a respiratory uh, disorder. Or how about children you know, that, that have epilepsy but have to use a ventilator? So I just wanted to point out, isn't that true that it's maybe dangerous to just say across the board, if you have epilepsy, you don't have to be worried? Well, sure. I mean, certainly if you have epilepsy in another condition, you you need to be very, very careful. Um, If you have, you know, it's important to remember that epilepsy is a spectrum disorder. So there are people who have epilepsy who have very well-controlled epilepsy who are very healthy people otherwise who take good care of themselves, who get up and take their medication and their seizures are very, very well controlled and their condition doesn't necessarily interfere with their lives. And they're very um, fortunate in that their treatment is effective for them. That's a relatively small percentage of the patient population. There's another percentage of the patient population on the other end that, as you say, are folks who have epilepsy that is part of um, a childhood epilepsy syndrome, for example, you know, like maybe Dravet syndrome or West syndrome or, you know, something that epilepsy is a central portion of that, but it, I mean, they also have lots of other comorbid conditions that are a part of it, and they're very, very medically fragile. They're, you know, their respiratory systems are compromised. Obviously, those patients are very much at risk because their respiratory systems are compromised, those kind of things. And, you know, then there are folks that are in the middle, which represent a majority of patients who have epilepsy, who probably are like the rest of the American population, frankly, who, you know, might be 
you know, healthy for the most part, but struggle with some sort of chronic condition. I mean, millions and millions and millions of Americans have some sort of chronic condition, but, you know, it might depend on what that condition is. So we know if it's anything respiratory or, or related to cardiac health, it's going to place you at an increased risk. So if you have asthma or if you have diabetes or something that affects your autoimmune system or, um, you know, something that affects your heart, then you're going to be at a higher risk regardless of whether or not you have epilepsy. So, you know, I think anybody that has, um, you know, any kind of health concern needs to be extraordinarily careful. Um, the American Epilepsy Society has said that, um, for example, that folks who are caring for patients who have epilepsy, who have any kind of mobility issue, any kind of difficulty swallowing, any kind of learning difficulties, anybody who has epilepsy and any kind of um, multiple condition, like you're saying, um, cerebral palsy, um, has to be very vigilant and has to really seek help from medical professionals to, you know, be certain that they're um, watching for symptoms that that they monitor properly and, and are, you know, careful about. Um, but, you know, and so if you have epilepsy, you have to just work very carefully with your doctor to make sure that you are taking the precautions that you need to take and that you're protecting yourself. I mean, you know, there's over a hundred different autoimmune conditions that could put somebody at risk. So, um, it's hard to say whether or not a person is going to have epilepsy and also be in one of those other categories. So um, I certainly am not a medical professional, but would absolutely tell anybody who has epilepsy that they need to carefully, carefully uh, consult with their physician about whether or not their individual health puts them in a position where they have to, where they're at greater risk. For, for some reason or another related to or not related to their epilepsy. Yeah, and I'll tell you why I brought this up is that, you know, I've heard different people say, well, I read about this and you know, if you have epilepsy, um, it's not that underlying condition so I can just be safe to go out. Of course, you're talking to the wrong person because I am one that follows the rules, but, you know, <laughs> you should, yeah. as far as I'm concerned, you have to remember, this coronavirus did not go on vacation. I mean, right. how many weeks ago right. were hundreds of people right. dying in New York? So I'm just saying, if I were you, I would be really careful. If I have, period, no matter who you are. But epilepsy, I was just reading an article, the coronavirus is not understood yet. And there no, are, I just read, there are impacts to the brain and the heart. Mm -hmm. So why I'm bringing sure. that up is they don't know yet if that can trigger a seizure. So I just want sure. to tell all of you, you know, don't underestimate this uh, enemy. Stay yeah, home, stay all. safe. And if you do go out, you know, you've got to do that social distancing and you've got to stand tall. And if you're in a wheelchair, yeah. you have to still 
stand tall. And what I mean by that, don't listen to other people. Be careful. Take care of yourself. Absolutely. Take care of yourself. And with Absolutely. that, as you all know, on the half hour, we have our news break with our anchor uh, woman, Perry Jude Radisick. <laughs> from Pennsylvania, Disability Rights of Pennsylvania. I know she loves that when I call her anchor woman. Uh, But she is the best of the best. And you know what? What I love about her is she takes this so seriously. And just the other day, by the way, I was talking to some people, uh, disability rights related, and they said, wow, that's so great that you do this. Provide us information on what's going on that impacts people with disabilities because you're the only place we can go to hear it all the time. Uh, So, Perry Jude, welcome. Are you ready to give us your uh, news update? Joyce, I sure am, and there's always so much to talk about, especially around COVID-19. That's for sure. So, Joyce, today it's about nursing homes and an action alert for all of your listeners on nursing homes. So, nursing homes continues to be a focal point of advocacy uh, from our community and for such a good reason, for a very good reason. So, here in Pennsylvania and probably in all of the states across the country, We know at least half of our COVID-19 deaths here have occurred in our congregate settings, like nursing homes and personal care homes. Here in Pennsylvania, we know the National Guard is staffing at least four nursing homes in our state. We are told that personal protective equipment, it's called PPE, is available, but we still are hearing stories from the Centers for Independent Living and from others that nursing home staff is reusing the same PPE over many days. And within that day, they're moving from room to room with the same PPE, whether the residents have tested positive or negative for the virus. And we know that the residents aren't the recipients of that PPE, just the staff. So the residents are left on their own to find a uh, to find a mask. So, uh, at Advocacy Matters, we have two action steps for this week. One, the U.S. Senate is having a hearing this week, and there's public comment due at the Centers for Medicaid and Medicare Services that would make it harder for people with disabilities to transition from nursing homes to community living. And that public comment is due on Thursday. So so let me talk a little bit more about that. So there's two little action steps here. So let's talk about the Senate hearing first. The United States Senate Special Committee on Aging is holding a hearing on Thursday at 9.30 a.m. Eastern Time. The name of the hearing is called Caring for Seniors, amid the COVID-19 crisis. The hearing is broadcast live on the committee's website. Now, we have the committee address that you can click on that link. We have a list of every committee member on our website that's included with today's segment. So if you go to disabilityrightspa.org, 
you can find that link to that committee's website, and you can find the committee list and see if your uh, Senate member from your state is on that committee. And the link is live, so you can click on that link and find your and email your committee member if you want to and tell them what's happening in your state with congregate care settings. It's really important that we tell people what's going on in our state from our perspective. So that's one thing that's happening. That's Thursday at 9.30 a.m. So finally, CMS, the Center for Medicaid and Medicare Services, has proposed a rule change for Medicaid-funded nursing facilities. Now, what's concerning is that there's a pre-admission screening and resident review toll. So if you want to go into a nursing facility and you're a person with a disability, there's a screening toll that helps nursing homes and states comply with Olmstead. So it determines whether you um, really need the nursing home or whether you should be in the community. So this is important. So what CMS wants to do is help nursing homes sort of bypass that screening tool. So people wouldn't have to use the screening tool anymore. So we don't want that to happen. So we have more information about what's happening, and the deadline is tomorrow at midnight, May 20th. So so we have a portal for public comment. The Center for Public Representation did a template for individual comments. We have that on our website as well. Uh, thanks to the Center for Public Representation. So we have all of that at disabilityrightspa.org. So educate yourself about what this, what this tool is and why it's important to keep this tool, why it's important for you to put a public comment in, and then also a link to the hearing on Thursday. So lots happening with nursing homes. We really need you at Advocacy Matters to get engaged, get involved, and help people uh, through this crisis. So really stay engaged and help advocate for others during COVID-19. And the website again, Perry June? Yes, it's disabilityrightspa.org. Um, and you know, uh, Rachel Maddow on MSNBC was the first person that started talking about this. Uh, and, and it is horrifying. What can happen to people in any of these congregate settings because it it just takes off like lightning. And I know there's been so much national PR about the Brighton nursing home. The number of deaths uh, are terrible. So, you know, I have to say, please go to that website. Please take action because it's not enough to just think it's wrong. You've got to do something about it. Not enough to think it's wrong. What is that William Wilberforce said? Um, if you if you see it, if you look and see it, you can no longer say, I didn't know. So we can no longer say, we didn't know, because we know now. We have to do something about it. Uh, hey, Perry Jude, thank you so much. Uh, for giving us that excellent information, and we will look forward to hearing more about it next week. Hey, thanks, Joyce. Take care. You're welcome. 
So, Peggy, isn't that terrible? Oh, my goodness. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I mean, just when I hate that people have that attitude about folks who are in long-term care and nursing homes. It's just horrifying to me. I know. I know it is. And it's sort of like, uh, you know, not seeing it. I know it's there. But it doesn't matter. I'm not going to do anything about it. Um, And and all those things that uh, Perry Jude said are just, you know, please go to that website and and do that. Okay. So I have another question Mm -hmm. for you, uh, Peggy. And that is about the supply chain of medication. Do you think people with epilepsy should be worried about that? Should they be checking, you know, to see where it's at? You know, wh- where, what do you think about that? Um, I, don't th- I don't think that there, we have a, I don't think people should be overly concerned. Um, I think that if people are concerned, they can check with their pharmacist. Um, I think that folks, if they can, should work with their physician and their um, insurance company and try to get a longer uh, uh, supply of medication to keep at home in case something happens. So, for example, again, the uh, um, American Epilepsy Society, which is, you know, the kind of the professional organization that represents the um, epileptologists and neuro- neurology group that um, treat epilepsy, um, are suggesting that if folks can get their medication filled a week in advance, that that would be a good idea. So that, you know, don't, like, let's not wait until the day before your medication has run out to get your prescription filled. Um, and if you can... They would like for folks to have a 90-day supply of their medication just because people are in quarantine. Now, that's very easy to say. That's not necessarily an easy thing to do. It really depends on your health insurance, what your health insurance will pay, whether or not, you know, you can store your medication that way. You know, there are a lot of factors that go into that. And the best way to figure that out is to just, kind of flip your insurance card over. There will be a phone number for your pharmacy services. Just give that phone number a call and talk to that person. Most health insurance companies are pretty good these days about providing coordination services. Some people really like having that coordination help. Other folks are not so crazy about it. But I think right now it's a great time to take advantage of having help coordinating your services and particularly your pharmacy services. So, you know, folks want to give this, those people at the health insurance a call and say, listen, I have a chronic health condition. I'd like to have, you know, several weeks at least supply of my medication on hand in the event there is a shortage or in the event I can't get to a pharmacy, that sort of thing. They can help you with that. They are making um, some exceptions to some of the typical rules, um, but again, it will depend on the medication, the medication you're, change, you're taking. Um, you know, some epilepsy medications are 
on the substance, con- the controlled substances list. So, you know, there, you know, some folks will have more trouble getting those medications, you know, in a, in a higher supply, that kind of thing. Um, but you just need to kind of try to work that out with the pharmacy and um, your health insurance initially, and, and then depending upon the type of medication it is, you may need to get your physician to sign off on that as well. You know what? I And I agree with you, uh, Peggy. That is such a good idea. I also would suggest that, let's just say it's you. You... Uh, you know, are over 65, you have epilepsy, you know, it's pretty much controlled, but you get this and have to go to the hospital. I, you know, I would suggest you have what I call that little emergency bag during Mm -hmm. this time of the coronavirus because uh, deaf people are putting that together so that, uh, you know, this is my name, uh, you know, I am deaf with uh, information. You make sure you have that with your med. I mean, I'm sorry, you, people with epilepsy, make sure you have something together that has like your medication. Um, I would put something in there saying, you know, that you have epilepsy and this is the type of seizure disorder that you have, um, your smartphone charger, and the name of the person you want to make sure that they are uh, in contact with. Because I know still in, you know, most hospitals, if you have the coronavirus, you know, people aren't going to go with you to that floor. So it would be good to be prepared uh, and have that with you if you're going you have to have yeah. that with you. Don't you that's think that would be uh, wise, Peggy? That's an excellent idea, and that's a that's that's a good idea just in general, Joyce. But that's an excellent idea right now. I mean, even just because you know when you're not feeling well, you don't remember things, and you don't like I. If you're not feeling well, you're not going to remember the names of your medications or how to spell them or what the doses are. I mean, I'm terrible at those kinds of things. In the best of times, and if you're not feeling well, you're certainly not going to remember. Um, so it's a good idea to have that information written down. And again, you know, depending upon your health insurance company or your doctor's office, and, and you know, some folks are sort of resistant to these things and don't like the electronic medical records and, and those kinds of things. But um, I know that my health insurance plan, for example, now you can register online. You know, I could get online and print that out pretty quickly um, and have a whole my whole health history printed out pretty quickly because I can register online and get all that information. Um, so, again, I would check with your insurance company and find out if you can get access to your records online um, or check with your um, primary care physician and find out if, you know, they have an online system. Many of the offices now have an online system for you to, like, check your blood work or check on your test results, those kinds of things. Right now, all of those kind of digital online things are very, very helpful to people. And, you know, if you do have to go to the hospital, 
just because you have to go to the hospital um, doesn't necessarily mean that they're allowed. And just because the hospitals are allowed to um, make modifications in their policies and their practices because of the pandemic doesn't necessarily mean they're allowed to just throw your civil rights out the window. Um, so if you do need, uh, you know, a sign language interpreter or, you know, you have a visual impairment and you need to have materials in, an, you know, some sort of alternative format, or if you're a person with a cognitive disability or um, for some reason you need the emotional support of a person to be with there to help you make decisions and that sort of thing, hospitals do still need to make those accommodations for you. Um, and, you know, not surprisingly, the best place to get information about that is Disability Rights PA. Um, they have some really, really good fact sheets about that issue um, on their website. And so if anybody has to go to the hospital or if you um, are afraid you need to go to the hospital, the best thing to do is to educate yourself now before that happens and, you know, maybe go to those websites and print off some of those fact sheets and, like you're saying, put it with your information so that, you know, you have that handy as well so that you know your rights as well. Right, because you could, you know, you could go to the hospital and if you have this in a state of total stress, have a seizure. And so, you know, that's why I'm saying you need... Uh, something with you visible, like a backpack or whatever it is that has, I have a complex partial seizure, I take this much medication, because really a lot of people, they don't know what to do, even in mm-hmm. the healthcare area. And uh, and the names, if you don't have someone with you, who they are, phone number, charger for your smartphone, don't go without your phone. Uh, and I right. don't know, Peggy, is there anything else that you can think of? Well, I, you know, I, I think those are all really good suggestions. And I think it's, you know, again, I think it's important for people to remember that, you know, if, if they have a communications device to, to keep that with them. Um, I would put that, you know, maybe by the front door so that um, if, God forbid, somebody got sick and somebody had to call 911, I mean, it's great to have that, but you also need for somebody to know to send that with you. So if you put a bag like that together, I would, like, let people around you know that you've done that so that, you know... um, if you have to go to the hospital, people know to send that with you. Yeah, and you know or, a lot you know, of elderly fam- family members to take that. Yes, a lot of elderly family members with epilepsy. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, everyone needs that information, but they definitely right. uh, need that information. You know, you mentioned about uh, getting medication. Another reason you should get that is because a lot of people with epilepsy cannot drive. I mean, get it ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and a lot of pharmacies are now delivering medication. Um, so if folks can't drive and they're concerned about getting to the pharmacy, um, you should check with your pharmacy to see if they're delivering. They're, uh, many of the pharmacies are delivering for free. If your pharmacy is not, it's 
pretty easy to transfer your prescription to one that is. Um, I think you can do that with a couple of phone calls. Um, Or you can transfer to a mail order pharmacy. And again, if you're not sure about, you know, coverage, um, you know, it's kind of scary to make those kind of changes sometimes during, during this time when things are, you know, kind of up in the air and things are going on and there's a crisis. But again, calling your health insurance carrier or the company that provides your health insurance and asking them, you know, who is the mail order pharmacy that I can use? Um, can you help me get set up with them? They're more than happy to help you do that. Do you, can you guys refer me to a pharmacy that you know right now is doing free deliveries, those kinds of things? Um, they're all very interested in helping patients to do those kinds of things right now. Talking about all these things you should do, if possible, ahead of time or to be prepared. You know what else I thought of, Peggy? If you're on the ketogenic diet, it might be a great, good idea to, you know, get all that food supply ahead of time. See, this is the problem with COVID-19. Anything can happen. You know, it can spike up in the United States, which it already is in certain states. And then they could say, oh, everyone stay at home again for X amount of time or, or limit limit what you can do. So if you're on that ketogenic diet, it might be a good idea to be prepared uh, and stocked up for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's amazing how these things come to your mind, you know, when you have epilepsy and you're uh, thinking about it. So Peggy, uh, just a couple last questions. What what would you suggest people do that are at home or, you know, sort of somewhat isolated at home that live with epilepsy? Um, you know, do you think it's a good idea to keep in touch with other people or communicate in some way? Absolutely. I, I You know, I think it's hard because we do want people to stay home. We do want people to practice social distancing. We do want people to wear masks, which is kind of odd. I mean, it's odd even though you know it's going to happen. And even when you do go out because everybody's face, like, it's hard to realize how much communicating you do with facial expressions until you see everybody out with the masks on, right? Um, But so I think it's just important for everybody to remember that just because we have to practice social distancing and wear the masks and all of that doesn't mean that we should isolate ourselves. Um, And so I guess what I would encourage people to do is to, A, don't wait for somebody to reach out to you. Be the person who reaches out because there's so many people who are isolated right now that surely there's somebody who could use your friendship Um, and, you know, make a phone call. I think it's great if somebody could hear your voice as opposed to seeing an email, you know, or getting a text, but however you want to communicate, I think it's important. And, And I think it's important if you're feeling too much stress at all, or if you're hurting at all. I think there's a lot of people who are, you know, really becoming depressed 
and it's really becoming overwhelming for them, and they just really need to know that they aren't alone and that they can reach out. Um, so I, I just I feel like it's just really, really important for people um, to, to know that there are folks out here to help them and that we are still here and that we do want to help and, and that we are just a phone call away. Um, an email way, however they want to reach out, that they just need to reach out to us and um, and, and that folks really are still here. Peggy, what's the website for anyone listening right now? Um, for the Epilepsy Association, it is www.eawcp.org. Could you repeat it one more time? Mm-hmm www.eawcp.org. Okay, and remember, if you're listening to the show and you're thinking, oh my goodness, I wish uh, this other person had heard or this other family, easy. You can subscribe to this show at Apple and or Spotify or you can go to uh, Voice America. I'll tell you the only reason I'm telling you it might be a good idea to subscribe is that it's so much easier for you to see it, see the podcast, and know how to get it to someone and know the upcoming uh, shows. But one other way, BenderConsult.com. Go to radio, and you can hear the shows live. So there you go. Many choices. Um, But I want to say one other thing in closing, and that is, yeah, this is terrible, but it is going to go away. There is hope. Someone said to me the other day, they said, someday this will be in the history books. I said, yeah, you know what that means? It's going to go away. And with that, we want, I want to end the show with our quote today from a great woman who lived with epilepsy, Harriet Tubman, who said, every great dream begins with a dreamer. Hey, everyone, stay safe. Talk to you next week about the intellectual disability community and what they are facing with COVID-19. Our guest is Liz Weintraub. Talk to you then. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. We are the leader in live Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. 